Dalton, I think it's safe to say our entire team at Cracked Rackets are fans of the game of tennis, right? Oh, yeah. And as oh yeah, and as fans, how often do we find ourselves sitting on the couch watching these professionals play and think, you know, I bet my game could stack up to them. I wonder how it would go if I got the chance to play them. Every day we're sitting on the couch right now. <laughs> well, maybe you're fantasizing about that while you lose to Lucas Bosch. But yeah, us fans of the game. Shout out to Lucas. Yeah, us fans of the game really do think about it. And Dalton, I am so happy to finally introduce an event where fans will have the chance to interact and play against some of the world's greatest players. West off if you could. Cue the LA tournament intro. LA tennis fans. Are you ready for the time of your f***ing life? We've got the L.A. Tennis Bash this December 8th at the Manhattan Country Club. Play tennis and network with tennis trendsetters, philanthropists, former NCAA student-athletes, ESPN and tennis channel personalities, professional actors and athletes, and tennis industry leaders, including, but not limited to, Sam Query, Lindsay Davenport, Pam Shriver, Tracy Austin... Bradley Klon, Stevie Johnson, Jared Donaldson, Nicole Gibbs, Shelby Rogers, Ernesto Escobedo, Jeff Tarango, and more. He's so excited he didn't even let me ask a question about who's going to be there. Um, those are some wonderful names. I'm curious, how can I sign up for this event? It's going to go latennisbash.com. Let me repeat that, latennisbash.com. Oh my gosh. And like you said, it, it's not just going to be tennis, right? There's going to be other things to do? Oh, there's going to be everything under the sun. You name it. You know, I got so excited about those players you name, I forgot already. What's the date of this tournament? The LA Tennis Bash is this December 8th. All proceeds benefit First Break Academy, and you can go to register at latennisbash.com. One more time. L-A-T-E-N-N-I-S bash.com. Saturday, December 8th at the Manhattan Country Club. We'll see you all there. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I am your host, Alex Gruskin, coming back to you guys after a wonderful Thanksgiving break. And over the course of that break, I got the chance to do something I don't get to do often enough. I got to hang out with Cracked Rackets CEO, Cracked Rackets founder, Cracked Rackets biggest nag, all of these adjectives you could supply to him. But of course, my favorite co-host on the Cracked Interviews podcast, Dalton Thieneman, and I'm happy to say he is joining me today. Dalton, welcome back to the pod. Say Cracked Rackets one more time, but no, um, <laughs> it was a, a good time up there in Michigan at the Gruskin Estate, and it was nice to catch up as always. Oh, you have the audacity to complain to me about branding, and then I do all of that branding in the first two minutes, and ugh. Uh, typical Dalton. What should I expect? But that is why on the Crack Interviews podcast, it's not just me and Dalton. We like to bring in a third guest to spice things up and have a little fun. And of course, you want to hear from our, you know, our tennis guest, not from me and him. So I am so happy to introduce our guest today, making his return appearance 
First time on the Cracked Interviews podcast, but second time with the Cracked Rackets Forum. It is Cansfield High School Hall of Famer, three-time Notre Dame Singles All-American, and the current head coach of the Notre Dame men's tennis team. It is Coach Ryan Satchery. Coach, welcome back to the Cracked Interviews podcast. Guys, it's great to uh, great to be back. Thanks a lot for having me. Of course. And, uh, I mean, it's not often that we're in the presence of a Hall of Famer, so congratulations to you, Coach. You dug deep to uh, to find the Canfield High School Hall of Fame uh, inductee list, I guess, huh? <laughs> well, I'll say this. I, I may have done a little bit of a uh, Wikipedia searching, and it still has you as the assistant at Notre Dame, so I made it a point to correct that. It did. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. It did mention that little Hall of Fame tidbit. And so that's actually where I want to start today's interview. Obviously, you grew up in Ohio. Uh, We've had Coach Ty Tucker, who talked about his time as a junior in Ohio. It's one of the lesser known, but still a hotbed for tennis talent. Um, How did you get into the game of tennis and what got you interested with the sport? You know, that's, uh, that's a great question and, and um, kind of ironic. You know, my dad was always an athlete, uh, played football in college, uh, not Union College, D3 Power in, in Ohio, and had a, had a short uh, stint, a cup of coffee in the NFL with San Diego Chargers. Uh, he returns home to Canfield, meets my, meets my mom. They were both high school English teachers. My mom actually enjoyed playing the game, although she never played too many tournaments or anything like that. My dad learns the game just by hitting the ball around with her. He falls in love with the sport, learns it, does tons of research by watching videotapes and, and reading books. And, um, you know, when, when the two of them would play, they would take me over to our, our summer club in, in uh, Northeast Ohio. And, and I would, you know, hit against the wall and I'd go out there and hit a little, a little bit with them. And as my dad's love for the game and, and his, uh, his aptitude in terms of, of teaching it and coaching it, grew um that's when i was growing up and and uh, you know the two of us had an amazing relationship he was always my coach uh throughout my my junior career and and it just kind of blossomed from there but uh but like many people i think in our sport i i, I learned the game and, and and got into it with uh with the help of my parents so coach did you grow up playing both football and tennis then or was his passion for tennis you know as you grew up so you were kind of pushed in that direction you know, it's interesting. I, I love football and, and obviously growing up in that household, uh, exposed to it a lot, but I'd never played it down to football in my life. Uh, my, my dad had always said that when I reached middle school, you know, he'd, he'd let me play, but the, just the safety reasons, you know, not to play Pop Warner and Pee Wee football and things like that. And so I played soccer, basketball, baseball, swimming, obviously tennis, uh, kind of whittled it down to basketball and tennis. And by the time I got to middle school, I was too far entrenched in those two sports to really, uh, you know, want to take out football. And I was probably, uh, probably too soft to play the game anyways. But, uh, <laughs> you know, by, by the time I got to that level, like I said, it was, it was basketball and, and tennis. And then once I reached high school, you know, I, I, I just focused on, on my tennis and, and kind of let it go from there. Well, if if I could jump in with a quick follow-up. Coach, uh, you should know I am a Michigan Wolverine through and through, uh, so, you know, no bias coming into this podcast. But I will say I have seen you in person, and, you know, you are a healthy six foot six. Uh, you've definitely got that size to have been a Notre Dame lineman. There was really, you just, you were never too thrilled with it, because, I mean, I could see you in the ball game. 
Well, I tell you what, when I came to college, I weighed 170 pounds. I was six foot four, 170. So <laughs> I would have gotten knocked around pretty, pretty good at, at uh, even at the high school level in football. Oh, well, I have to agree to disagree. I would like to see you and Ledbedev line up in your primes because that'd be nice defensive ends. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, you know, moving on into your junior career and then your transition to college tennis, obviously you had a lot of success, not only at the high school level where you won two state titles, but, you know, you played a bunch of USCA tournaments throughout the year, were ranked up there in the 16s and 18s. Um, I'm curious, what led to you going to Notre Dame, and did you always know you were going to play college tennis, you know, as you progressed through high school? Yeah, I, I did. I knew, I, I just didn't know what level. Um, you know, back back then, Miami of Ohio actually had a great program, a guy named Bruce Lipkill was the head coach, and, and they were, you know, fringe top 25 in the country. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I, throughout much of my junior career, I was kind of taken into maybe that level of program. Um you know, a really good mid-major level program. And it really wasn't until my second year, 16, that I kind of I kind of blossomed and, and really springboarded up into uh, into the higher level, um, you know. And, and but, but, yeah, I, I did. I did know I wanted to play, play college tennis, you know, once I got rolling with the sport and kind of started specializing. How I got to Notre Dame is, is, another, is another great story. You know, growing up in Ohio, not Catholic, um, you know, I was a huge Buckeye fan. And, uh, and, and, you know, would root every, every Saturday in the fall like crazy for Ohio State. And, and actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. It was a rough weekend. Well, I would, I would root for Michigan in one game. And that was when I played Notre Dame. I mean, I grew, when I grew up, Notre Dame was the, was the school that I rooted against and, and <laughs> did not, did not like, which, which is crazy how, how life works, you know, and, and how it all ends up. But, you know, I, I knew the profile school that I wanted to go to. I knew I wanted to go to a great tennis program. I knew I wanted to go to a great academic school. And, um, you know, and, and, and through the course of taking visits, I uh, kind of whittled my choices down to a few. And, and ultimately, it was, it was the people here at Notre Dame. And, and just, you know, I think uh, the combination of, of the opportunities that were here, uh, Coach Bayless, was was obviously an, an amazing coach and, and a great person and and really um, when I took my visit here I, I just fell in love with the place and and it was it took me a while to honestly to be able to articulate that this was a place that I wanted to come and and it was a it was a signing day decision um, but I, I think for a long time I, I knew in my heart of hearts where I wanted to be but it just like I said it took me a while to kind of be able to verbalize it and articulate it and and obviously it was the best choice that I ever could have made and. Um, you know, it's, it's been, uh, been nothing but uh, great things since. So you mentioned the decision was a signing day decision. So it came down to the wire. Um, what was coach Bayless's pitch? Um, and have you used a similar pitch? I know we'll, we'll transition into your coaching career, but do you use a similar pitch now? You know, coach Bayless, I don't know that he necessarily even had a pitch. I, I think he was himself. And that was endearing. You know, I, I think when, when you have a situation where you have really, really, really smart, successful people that are head coaches at, at the college level, um, you know, making, making sales pitches to you, you know, it can be, it can be pretty enticing and at the same time pretty daunting to have to choose between them. And, you know, the one thing I give Coach Bayless a lot of credit for is he was honest and, and he was himself. And, and, you know, I think at the end of the day, that probably won me over the most. Um, 
I knew that if I came here to Notre Dame that I'd have the opportunity to get a good education. I knew that I'd have an opportunity to see how good I could get in tennis. I, I knew that he was a great developmental coach, so so wasn't really necessarily having to sell me on those things. Honestly, it was more about comfort, and, and he did a great job of, of really bringing down the walls and, and, and eliminating some of the barriers that maybe would prevent me from wanting to come here um, and, and let Notre Dame and the program here sell itself. Absolutely. And, you know, you end up going to Notre Dame. You have quite a bit of success throughout your college career. As I mentioned earlier, you are a three-time All-American, the only player in Notre Dame history to qualify for the NCAA Men's Singles Tournament all four years. Uh, You know, your team back then, you guys were in the Big East. You guys have some success. Uh, Your champions, I believe, your junior year, runners-up the other years. Um, Just looking back at it now as a coach, how do you remember, uh, you know, your time as a player, and how do you think it may have differed from the experience the players you're coaching now have? Yeah, good question. I, you know, I think a big thing was maybe the perspective that I had coming in versus um, some of the players that we have on our team now, and, and some of the guys that we're, we're recruiting. In uh, the fact that I played multiple sports growing up, I was part of a team. Uh, on many occasions, I played high school tennis all four years in Ohio, you know, on team. Um, but I did not play one ITF, you know, event. And, and I was pretty, uh, pretty naive, let's say, and, and inexperienced from a global perspective, uh, compared to, to a lot of the guys that are on our team now currently and are playing at the highest level of college tennis now. You know, so, so my experience was very, very different uh, coming in. And, and and so I think maybe the lens through which I was looking at it and, and experienced it was, was also different during it. Um, the, the thing that, you know, again, is a constant here, and, and, and I had it as a player and as a student athlete here, and, and our guys do too, is, you know, you're challenged in, in both areas of your life from the academic perspective as well as the tennis perspective. Um, and, and at the same time, you know, what, what an unbelievable – opportunity to, to really fully develop and, and, and be the best you can possibly be at a school like this. And so, uh, again, how I came to this place is maybe different than some, some of our guys here, but I think the experience that, that uh, they're having is very, very similar to what, to what I had as well. Well, I'll tell you what is not similar. And Dalton, I know you will get mad at me if I spend too long on his playing career, but just a couple of quick tidbits. Uh, number one, again, looking through your resume, I see in 1999, you were the ITA National Clay Court Championship semifinalist. Uh, I, I guess my question is, clay courts in college, that that was a thing? Yeah, that was a great tournament in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, <laughs> and and it, was, it was as loaded of a field as, as the All-American, as, you know, back then the National Indoor um, was a very marquee event in February as well, individually. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a shame that that event went away because it was a really cool start to the year. It's in late September. Um, and, and all the players got put up in, in private housing and it was, it was, uh, it was a fantastic event. It was, it was different, right? It was different than, than playing on the hard courts yeah. that, uh, virtually every other, every other match that a college player plays, uh, you know, surface wise. Yeah, absolutely. And I, again, Dalton, I promise, just give me three more. And they'll, they'll, they'll be quick questions, I promise. <laughs> so, uh, I trust you. I trust yeah. you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know, Notre Dame, it's my rival, so I got to get the questions in. Um, the second one, uh, for people who don't know, you reached a career high of number two in the ITA National Singles rankings. Uh, four of those instances saw you ranked behind Harvard's James Blake. 
Obviously, uh, we are aware of James Blake's career now, but back then he was a little bit less heralded. Uh, what is it like playing college tennis when you have someone like that, someone who's similar in the modern era to a Stevie Johnson, just kind of setting the barest for the excellence for each individual athlete? Yeah, James' story is, is an awesome one. I mean, he, he was really, really, really under the radar throughout his junior career. I remember I played him in the national indoors in Boston, Massachusetts back in the day in the, in the 16s. And uh, I, I never heard of the kid. He was ranked outside the top 100 in the country. And, and I played him, I think it was first round. It might have been second round, but I think it was first round. And, and it was a it was a long three-setter. And, and again, certainly did not expect that level of a match going into it. And from then, he just kind of took on, you know, took, took off in, in terms of his junior development. And, and he, when he got to Harvard, I think he had finaled maybe a Kalamazoo, um, at least some on his maybe finals before he got to Harvard. And, and uh, you, you could tell, you know, his, his two years at Harvard that he was, he was going to be really good. Ironically, he, he served in volleyed a fair amount and, and used his athleticism to get forward. And, and he was a really, really good volleyer. And, and then it wasn't until, you know, I think he turned pro that he just started wailing forehands as hard as he could and, and became the, became the, the elite pro that, that he ultimately became. But, um, you know, certainly he just, I remember doing some USDA camps with him, being on the collegiate summer team with him and, and just athletically he was different than, than, than the rest of us and, and the way that he could move on the court and still create power from, from off balance positions. Like I say, this was different. And, uh, you know, maybe you didn't think he was going to be top five in the world, but you, you knew he was going to be darn good. And, uh, and he certainly ended up being that. No, absolutely. And I, I do want to ask you more about your thoughts on college as developmental for the pros. But uh, uh, this is my most fun question I'll ask about your time at Notre Dame. Now, in the traditional stereotypes of college athletes, tennis players are not the athletes known for taking home the cheerleaders. Now, in the case of one Ryan Satchery, I know you are now married to Cindy Harding, now maybe Cindy Satchery, a 1999 Notre Dame graduate and former Irish cheerleader. There has to be a good story there, Coach. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, uh, yeah, we, we get, we get joked about that quite a bit, you know, being the stereotypical <laughs> couple of athletes, the cheerleader and, and all that. And, and uh, I, I, in all seriousness, say this, you know, uh, with, with zero joking that she is the brains of the family for <laughs> sure. She was also a 3.95 accounting major and, and uh, you know, here at Notre Dame and, and it has done really well in, in her career as well. But uh, no, it was, it was a, uh, like I said, we, we had to endure some, some joking and some ribbing as, as our, as our uh, dating lives kind of progressed and, and, uh, <laughs> You know, it was a crazy fact. We got married seven years after we started dating, and, and I think we lived in the same zip code maybe six months of those seven years because she's, she's a year older than me, and she moved on to, to Chicago, um, you know, about four months, five months after we started dating, and she graduated. And then and then my time on the tour, I was obviously playing and traveling a, a bunch. So, uh, you know, we, we we had the most longest relationship you could have, and, and – uh, it, it all worked out, but when we got married, we were both a little nervous. Like, how are we, are we actually going to still like each other? You know, being <laughs> in the same house with one another. But uh, now it's been it's been great, and she's been so supportive of of me and my career all throughout. And and um, you know, we have a great marriage. 
Oh, that is awesome. And then, so the last one I will ask about your time. Now, when you were in college, you know, they played longer matches. They played ad scoring, two out of three sets in the singles. I believe you guys were still up to eight in doubles, right? At that point, they had gone to the pro set? Yes. And so my, my question to you is now with where college tennis scoring is at, it's no ad scoring. The doubles point has been short, uh, shortened as well. Uh, you've seen both perspectives. In your opinion, are you happy with the way college tennis scoring has gone or did you prefer it back, you know, in your playing days? I think it depends on the lens that you're looking at it through. I think a tennis purist is always going to want more tennis. And, and certainly the pro set, the regular scoring, um, you know, you had a little bit more time as a player and, and, and certainly as a coach to try to make adjustments. And, it, you know, it's not just one break and it's over kind of thing. I, I think the excitement level of the product that we have right now is so high. Uh, the urgency on, on every single point, um, you know, just creates a really, really fun atmosphere and, and environment. And, and honestly, as a, from a coach's perspective, we, you know, we had one year, two or three years ago where we, we experimented out of conference with the, the current format that we have, and then but our, our conference rules and NCAA tournament was played under the old format, the two out of three and regular scoring. And honestly, the, the matches now, they they seem longer than they used to before, even though they're a lot shorter, just because every point's intense. And, and it, you know, it's two and a half hours of, of, of pressure-packed tennis, uh, which is which is incredible, and and there's always something going on. There's always a break point. There's always a thirty all, which could lead to a you know two break points or whatever. And um, I, I just think that as we look to to move our 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 sport forward and continue to grow our our game and our brand and, and get more exposure, you know, to, to the general sports world, uh, the more that we can continue to make this exciting, uh, the better. And and uh, and I think we're doing that right now. So, so I, I will ask on that. You talk about how you know now for two and a half hours, there's no letting off the gas. I would also argue that in shortening the doubles point and making it no ad, the doubles point gaining that momentum has become that much more important, even more so maybe than when you had the the longer matches in doubles, because now you know the, the percent chances for an upset in the singles is just much higher with the no ad scoring. Someday those points just don't go your way. Uh, I would ask you, do you agree with that assessment that with the no ad scoring, maybe the doubles point has become a little bit more important? For sure. And I think you look at there's less time in between the doubles and the singles. And so momentum maybe carries over a little bit more and, and, you know, yeah, no, no doubt. And, and the team has a little bit less time to kind of slowly turn the momentum and, and, and kind of get a stranglehold in the singles. Um, again, even in the singles, you know, you're, you're, uh, you could be completely outplaying an opponent and, and he gets, you know, hot for one, one return game and puts a couple points together 45 seconds later, you're, you're, you're down a break or you're, you're breaking back to, to, to get to even. And it, it's, yeah, the, the doubles point is key. Uh, I think it's, I think it's really hard to capture momentum in the singles because again, there's, there's up and down action everywhere on all six courts and, and, uh, it really is a sprint to the finish line. It, it feels like, and, and it makes for an unbelievable, uh, unbelievably exciting, uh, environment for the players to compete in. Uh, they're, they're feeling pressure and, and they're, they're playing with high emotion for the entire dual match and, and what an amazing experience for fans too. And I think we're, we're in a really good place with what we're doing.
Oh, I mean, the doubles point is probably, at least in my opinion, the most exciting part of any tennis event you can participate in. Just when you have the three courts all next to each other, everyone's shouting left and right. Um, I mean, yeah, it's all you can ask for as a fan. I'm wondering, as a player, were you a shouter? Were you a big screamer like some of the guys on your team may be now? You know, I when I played my best tennis, I was vocal, but not maybe out of out of control. I, I, uh, I, 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 and I think that's probably pretty pretty normal across the board. Where there's that there's that fire burning and, and that intensity with how you're competing, but also to a little bit of clarity and how you're thinking and and and, and you know a, a levelness to to your emotions as you as you play. But um, you know, certainly, look, I, I think any effective player realizes that his job is to take care of his court, but also to to, to help create momentum and, and, and create some energy for his teammates. And so that's, that's part of what we do. It's a, it's a team sport and, and it's part of what, what successful players do. Uh, they, they help those around them, their teammates around them become better as well. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you absolutely need to share that emotion with your, with, with the boys that you're fighting with out there and, and, um, and help them as well as take care of business on your court too. No, absolutely. And I'm going to, I'm going to finally sneak a question in here, coach, but how did the, um, how did that practical level-headed mentality help you transition to coaching and how much of an adjustment was that being on the other side of things? It's huge. You know, the one thing that, that is very, very different between playing and coaching and anybody will tell you this is when you, when you're playing, you actually do have control over what goes on on the court. When you're coaching, you have a little bit of control in terms of giving suggestions and trying to help help the guys out there, but they're the ones that are hitting the shots, and and that that's a big 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 difference. And you know, I, I think um, any young coach goes through that where there's a little bit of frustration when when you see uh, one of your players maybe not performing at the level that that he could. Uh, you know, you, you end up getting frustrated a little bit. But I think the more you you go on in your coaching career, you, you you gain that perspective that it's pretty normal, you know. And 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 your job is to hopefully try to calm them down, help them get back to the to the level that they can play at. And and uh, you know, I listened to the last track interview you had with with Nick Kroll on on the men's side, and he talked about it that the huge part of the job of a college coach is to be uh, is to be a psychologist out there. And 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 so I think. Um, you know, you're maybe not thinking that way when, when you're playing, obviously. But uh, as a coach, I think, you, you know, that, that level-headed perspective can help. And, and uh, you know, but look, we're, we're all we're all intense and we're all competitors and we all want to win. And, and so I think, you know, it's, it's not easy to, uh, to always channel that, always channel that calm. But, uh, you know, it's something that you know that your players need from you. And, and uh, we all try to do the best we can out of it. From a recruiting perspective, um, earlier you mentioned James Blake being outside of the top 100, um, you know, not really on anyone's radar. Even a guy like Lev, who's, you know, had an incredible college career. How do you find those unicorns when, you know, they're, these days you got tennis recruiting, UTR, USTA. How do you see through the rankings and actually look at, you know, a specific player's qualities and characteristics that will translate to the college level? It's a great question. I think another another amazing example of that is Chris Eubanks was a four star when he submitted to Georgia Tech, and um, you know obviously he's gone on. I think he's top 170 something like that right now, finishing this year, and, and was an amazing college player. Um, you know there, there there are stories like that, and and I think as a, as a coach, if if anybody had a 
and a foolproof method and, and system, you know, we'd, we'd be winning consistent national championships all the time. And, and, uh, you know, but I don't know that that necessarily exists. I think, you know, I, what, what we ultimately, I think all end up looking for is, is does a kid have a passion to want to improve every single day? Does he have a skill set that's going to allow him to transition to a more aggressive style, which typically is played at, at this level versus the junior level? Uh, and then you want the trend too. Is the, is the trend going up? You know, is, is the trend of somebody's career and, and their development improving all the time? And, and again, I don't think there's any guarantees. A lot of it is about the opportunity that you get when you get to college and, and then taking advantage of that opportunity. Um, but, uh, in terms of best predictors, I, I think those are probably the three, the three, uh, keys to, to trying to find that diamond in the rough that ultimately, you know, develops into a stud. You know, you you had such an experience on the pro tour. Uh, you played there for uh, many years, and so you got to see players from all over the world and what it takes to be a pro at any level. And I'm just curious: are there certain traits, even specifically, you see in terms of guys who have that success, who you think, oh, even if they come to college, they could definitely make that jump to pros? Is it something you think every player needs to have in their game? Maybe it's the fitness, maybe it's a you know a weapon. What is it that you're seeing out there? I think you, I mean, number one, and again, there's, there's so many different ways to skin a cat and so many different ways to play the sport of tennis. Um, but again, best predictors, number one would be an elite server. You know, if you can hold serve 90% of the time, you're, you're going to be in every match that you play and have a, have a chance of a great success. And the rest of your game can kind of develop around that. But that one weapon, because nobody can take your serve away from you, uh, I, I think is an important piece. And then number two would be the movement. You know, I, I think that's another that's another key. Uh, again, if, if you're if you're an efficient mover, a fluid mover, um, and, and special in that in that area, um, that's always going to be there for you every day. And uh, you know, and, and then the rest of your game can develop around that. So I, I think you either have to have you know great great athleticism, great movement, or a really really special weapon in the surf. We do want to get into 2019. Uh, season expectations. Can you take us through your team now and, um, you know, what the expectations are going in the next season? Yeah, you know, it, it, we returned a lot of our, our, our core from last year. Uh, we, we graduated a doubles, a double starter, uh, but the rest of our, our starting lineup is intact. And, and then we had a really uh, significant fall from, from one of our freshmen uh, in Axel Nev. And, and so I, you know, we we have a we have a fair number of guys that, that I believe can can win uh, and proven they can win at a high level college uh, tennis level and and so you know um, we did have a good fall uh, we finished with five guys in the national rankings um, and and three others are, are some of our higher UTR guys so how that works with the ITA algorithm I'm not sure but you know I think we we feel pretty comfortable that we have a core group of guys that. Um, you know, have either done it in the past or in Axel's case have shown it this fall uh, that they can win at a high level. And, and you know, obviously we, we play one of the toughest schedules in the country. Uh, we, we, we have to run the ACC gauntlet, obviously, and, and, and play against three of the better teams in the SEC and, and probably the four best teams in the Big Ten as well. And, and so we know we're going to be challenged every single week and, and we're going to need a, a, a high quantity of those guys at some stage of the season or another, but, um, you know, I, I think we, we feel comfortable that if we can, you're talking about the value of the doubles point, if we can become a really, really good 
team in, in doubles and, and make, make that a, a huge strength of our group um, and, and, and win the doubles point on a consistent basis, we're going to have a chance to get the four against, uh, you know, against almost any team in the country. And, um, but we also know that with the schedule we're playing, we can, we can lose a lot of matches too. So it's a fun, it's exciting. Our, our guys know that this time of year is really, really important as we, uh, we kind of enter into the holiday period here where we're not allowed to practice with them by the NCAA rules. And, and when we come back in January, they got to be ready to go because, uh, the, the, the challenge starts right away in match number one. And it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a fun ride. That's for sure. Well, Coach, you talk about that early season schedule for people who don't know. You guys are at Kentucky January 19th and at Vanderbilt a week later. Um, I imagine you will try to be playing those matches outdoors. And for a team like Notre Dame, uh, for any team that's playing in a cold weather uh, state, how is it that you guys prepare to make sure that you're ready for the outdoors, should that be the case, if that's how you're playing those matches? Well, fortunately, uh, the, the Vandy match is part of kickoff weekend, and that's actually at Oklahoma, and that's a predetermined indoor site. Which is nice. uh, and, and with, with Kentucky in, in January, I think we feel pretty confident we'll be, we'll be indoors as well for there. But no, no, no doubt that challenge exists and, and for us. And, and, you know, as we get deeper into the season and we're playing ACC matches where maybe the weather here up in the Midwest isn't, isn't quite conducive for outdoor tennis, but it is down south. You know, a, a lot of it, honestly, is 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 there's a couple nuggets that maybe we've picked up along the way in terms of how we practice, um, and, and some some skills to emphasize that maybe help us transition better to outdoors. Um, clearly, when we take our spring break trip, we're we're playing as much tennis outdoors as we as we possibly can, and and uh, you know our, our guys just get used to making that transition. And uh, some of the best results we've had as a group last year, the previous year, et cetera, et cetera, have been, you know, in, in some of the hottest conditions, outdoor tennis. And, and um, you know, so, again, it's something that I think we get used to. Uh, we, we look at any time we, we play indoors at home against a team that's coming from outdoors, what, what a great opportunity, what a great advantage we have. And when we go on the road and, and we're, we're battling outdoors in, in an environment maybe we're not quite as accustomed to, then we have to channel our, our competitiveness and, and find a way to grit that match out. Absolutely. And, you know, you talk about that grit that you guys have to display all year long. Uh, you know, there's two weekends that stand out for me really on the schedule, other than, the, of course, the entire ACC season. And that's University of Virginia and Texas A&M are coming to South Bend that first weekend in February. And then that last weekend in February, you're going to Michigan. I'll be sure to be there so we can say hello. And then to Columbus as well to take on the Buckeyes. Uh, I'm curious, as a coach, do you try and group those matches together to try and simulate that NCA environment where you're going to be having back-to-back matches against you know top 20 opponents? And if you want to succeed, you have to be able to play you know under that atmosphere with that sort of being so tired physically because they're back-to-back matches. I think, Alex, good, good question. I, I think that comes up. Those those kind of weekends uh, naturally come up when when you take the approach to scheduling that we, that we try to take and, and we're not the only school that does this, but the, the goal here is to compete for a national championship and, and to take our program to that level. And, and, and in order to do that, my belief and philosophy is that we want to play the toughest schedule that we can possibly play. And, and so when we're putting, we're putting our spring schedule together, um, you know, again, we're, we're looking to play the best opponents that we can find. And, and, uh, you know, and, and a lot of times they are a bunch like that on, on, on a weekend, and, and it is a, an amazing 
prepped for not only ACC play later on in the year, where again you're playing Friday Sunday, um, but to your point too, is you know once NCAA tournament comes, you're playing back to back days against against elite teams and 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 ultimately hopefully getting to the final site where it's three days in a row potentially. And so, um, you know, again everybody looks at the regular season as a prep for the end of the year, and, and, and clearly those two weekends uh, really will help us down the road and. They scare the heck out of me right now. Uh, <laughs> you know, getting, getting ready for, for, for juggernauts like, like those teams. But, um, you know, again, it, it, what, uh, what we face is, is going to make us stronger as, as time goes on. And, and um, you know, we're really excited about, about events like that. And just for um, those Notre Dame alumni and our audience that will be listening to the pod and that are big uh, Notre Dame tennis fans, what can they expect from a, team personality and chemistry standpoint from this year's team we have a lot of personality in this group <laughs> and uh, and it's it's fun it's fun it's, it's a challenge every day to, to kind of rein them in sometimes but they they work hard uh they enjoy each other we've got very different guys um and so kind of blending those personalities and meshing them into one group and one unit um is, is a process that we that we like to undertake but I, I love our i love our team i love our, our players um they are they're going to fight they're going to compete they're going to support one another which is a huge part of, of what we try to sort of be as a program is, is when we walk on the court it's it's individuals playing but it's one unit competing and and uh you know I, I think we try to do a really good job of that and so again hopefully it's great chemistry i know it's going to be a lot of attitude a lot of personality and, and a lot of fun you know, recently with Wake Forest, with UVA, with UNC, all competing in national championships in the case of UVA and Wake Forest, obviously winning NCAA championships as well as indoor championships. Uh, how does that level of success in your conference, you know, put not necessarily pressure on your program, but force you guys to, you know, take that extra step to beat the elite of the elite teams, which, you you know, you guys are always going to have to overcome if you want to have success in the ACC. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's awesome. You know, I mean, it's su- such a credit to our league that, uh, to your point, over the last five, six, seven years that national champion has come from from the ACC more often than not and, and a lot of times the finalists as well and, and um, I, I, it does put it does put uh, you know some, some pressure on us to, to produce great teams I, I people ask you know do you like being in the ACC and I, I think the answer is pretty simple and any coach can say this when you have a good team like I believe we have um, and, and we'll have moving forward it's great because there's amazing opportunities every single match you play don't have a good team it's a nightmare because there's there's no easy matches. There's no easy wins, and 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 you know obviously with the Carolinas and the Wakes and the UVA's, uh, those are those are notable. But at the same time, the depth of our league too. Uh, you know we're routinely getting nine, ten teams into the NCAA tournament, and and uh, and again there's there's no no weeks off, no no matches off, and so it's it's uh, I think from a developmental perspective, it's it's awesome. And if, if I'm a kid listening to this podcast right here, I, I want to come and play in a league like that because you're going to get better. It focuses you that much more in practice uh, as the season goes along every single day. Um, there's an urgency to you, uh, and, and you know that you're going to get amazing opportunities to play against the best players in the country uh, week in and week out. 
Coach, uh, you, you started to give us your pitch there, but I want to ask you one more thing before we go to our final segment, the rapid fire segment. Uh, again, you were so kind and willing to come onto this podcast. So what we want to do for you, if you were to give a pitch on why Notre Dame is the school for any, you know, division one college tennis prospect, why would you say it's the place you should come play? Well, uh, you know, again, there's, there's other great programs. I, I think, what we what we uh, what we provide and, and what we we give our guys is, is an opportunity to get a, a great education and at the same time you know develop to be to be a pro or, or at least to be the best college player that you could possibly be. We talk about our schedule. We talk about just the mentality within our program. Our guys want to be good. Our guys want to be successful. And and uh, fortunately, Notre Dame provides us the resources and an opportunity to to really maximize what our guys can do. And uh, a special place it's a family place and and you feel like you're doing something uh for 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 an, an, an entity a, a a group big much bigger than yourself and and uh and that's what that's what makes it all rewarding you're really contributing to to an amazing university and an amazing athletic department and and uh like i said along the way you're becoming the best player you can possibly be Oh, I love hearing it. Well, then, Coach, we're going to do one last thing um, to any of our podcast listeners who made us made, make it this far in the podcast. They know we like to end with the rapid-fire segment. We are going to take you uh, through a gauntlet of about 10 questions. There will be easy questions for you, uh, pretty quick answers, just to give our listeners one last chance to learn a little bit about Coach Ryan Satchery. So, Coach, you ready for that? I am ready, my man. Bring it on. I love it. All right. Well, then my first question to you, favorite athlete, non-tennis related? The Northeast Ohio native, I, I got to go with LeBron James. Uh, oh, one of the great answers. One of the things that sticks out about him, everyone knows the professionalism and, and, and just the, the success he's had and, and how he treats his body and how he, how he you know, is, is competes in, in, in the biggest moments. But that guy has been in, lived in a fishbowl for, you know, since he was 15 years old, 16 years old. And he was a phenom and a star. And, and, and yet nothing has ever really come out about him in a negative way as a person, as a, as a husband, as a father, et cetera. And, and that's, that's hard to do for, for the better part of two decades. And uh, so just a great, I think a great athlete, a great player, and, and also um, has done wonders in the community there. And, and, uh, you know, has really kept himself out of the out of the limelight in terms of any negative publicity. Next question, Coach Satch is getting work up in the gym. What's what's his one go-to song? Oh man, that's a good uh, that's a good one. Uh, go-to song, probably uh, probably I the Tiger from uh, Rocky uh, Rocky Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> Favorite city in the world? New York. Uh, let's go with favorite tennis player currently on tour. Well, I mean the 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 easy answer is Fed. I mean it's hard hard to uh, hard to to not say him and, and and respect what he's done. I'll say from a young guy, up and coming guy. Again, not going too far outside the box here, but I, I love I love the Barrett's game. I think that guy can be can be a, a, a stud. He already is a stud. I think he can be a a double digit winning Grand Slam champion, and and uh, he's really fun to watch. Could not agree more. Best ping pong player on the team when you were at Notre Dame as a player. 
So I had a teammate named Brian Patterson who would literally, he's, he does world's toughest mutter competition sound. He, he, the guy would compete and, and still competes in anything. And he would literally cut off his arm to, uh, to win. And, and so he, he found a way to be an elite fun player. And, and probably more importantly, just would, you know, would, would refuse to lose anybody on, on our team. So I'll go with, uh, I'll go with DP from back in my, my day. Oh, I like that question. Well, then I'm going to ask you a similar question that I asked Coach Crowell based off of something you said earlier. Let's say the college football playoff gods are cruel and your University of Notre Dame Fighting Irish take on the Ohio State University Buckeyes in the first semifinal. Who are you rooting for, Coach? Signing day 1995, my allegiance turned 100% to uh, to the Golden Dome in, in, in Notre Dame. <laughs> Every single day of the day of the year. I was, I, I do have to tell you, I, I was rooting for the Buckeyes to, uh, to beat Michigan last weekend and, and knock them out of the, uh, the playoff conversation. So that was, I know, a tough one for you, but uh, people in South Bend were, were, were okay with that result for sure. Uh, I reserve the right to ask you that question off phone as well. Cause I. <laughs> <laughs> um, favorite movie you've seen lately? Favorite? Well, I mean, every movie I go to is with my with my kids, and they're eight and ten. So, what do we see last? We saw one of the the, the more recent Christmas movies, uh, The Nutcracker, The Nutcracker in in the the Bizarro world. So, uh, I, I don't know that I would necessarily recommend that for the audience that's listening. But uh, <laughs> again, we have an unbelievable theater in South Bend that has like the full reclined seats, and so anytime my wife suggests going to the movie, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I got some popcorn, drink some Diet Coke, and uh, and catch some Z's if need be. <laughs> I'm glad to hear. Well, then my last question for you, Coach, and you know we've talked about things similar to this throughout the podcast, but for any fan who goes and sees the University of Notre Dame men's tennis team this year, what do you want them to take away from your team? You know that that our our guys love one another. They love playing for Notre Dame. Uh, they play with heart. They play with passion. Uh, and, and they fight to the last point. I, I don't know that we're going to be an undefeated team this year, um, just based on the schedule that we play. But, you know, I think we're going to play with energy every single day and, and, and get after it and, and have a lot of fun as a group doing that. And, and if, if we can do that every single day, we're going to have a successful year. Uh, I'm so glad to hear. Well, Coach Satchery, thank you so much for taking the time to come back on the Correct Interviews podcast. Um, I am sure Dalton will call you as soon as we're done because I know we've got a lot of fun things in the works and, you know, we look forward to continue to work with you and the Notre Dame tennis uh, team and just everyone in college tennis moving forward throughout 2019. So good luck to you, coach. And again, thank you for taking the time. Guys, I had so much fun and, and uh, you know, anytime I'd, I'd love to come back on. You guys do a great Thanks, job coach. at college tennis and support it. Thank you. Uh, awesome. Thank you so much, coach. Take care. Thanks, guys. Appreciate and it. Go, go Irish, right? Go Irish. Oh, I love it. All right. Take care, coach. <laughs>